0: Hello and welcome to the Animation Club podcast. This is a Q&A featuring John Rennie. Please note that these Q&As were recorded across 2020 and 2021
1: during the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Goodbye for now. Hello, Animation Club. Um, welcome to another live Q&A. Um, hopefully we have some people tune in today because this is the first time we've moved it to a Thursday. So I'm hoping people have got the message and they are ready to tune in. So um today we have John Rennie um from uh, you are the creative director, is that right? Creative director. Uh, managing, managing director. Managing director. director, sorry, I've yeah, so many director things at the moment. No creative, <laughs> Don't worry, no. So um of Cloth um animation studios. So um if, if you want to introduce, say a bit about yourself and, and Clothcat, yeah. and then we'll start getting some questions.
0: Brilliant, okay, yeah, so Clothcat Animation, so we're based in Cardiff, um, it, currently without a home, because, well, the home currently is my own home, um, because we're all working remotely, um, which has obviously been quite fun over the last uh, sort of year and a bit. Uh, but we are a 2D and CG and games um, production company, basically, uh, we do a lot of service work, um, for actually quite a, often quite global projects. Um, but we're also an IP-generating company as well. So, and we're working on a lot more of that at the moment as uh, things have changed d- 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 during the pandemic. Um, so we have done a lot of broadcast 2D, uh, CG animation, um, sort of large episodes, like 26 or 52 episodes. Uh, but we've also done a number of small projects as well, a few short films. And uh, a lot of the stuff we are developing at the moment is actually quite short-form content for digital distribution. So, um, so yeah, so we're quite quite wide-ranging as a company, and you kind of have to be in the animation business. Um, you know, certain people are able to specialise in a particular style or a particular look, uh, but we never really had much of a house style. We've always tended to work on other people's projects and work with other creators, which is uh, which has been a good thing. So, um, so yes, yeah, so we you know we're quite uh, quite, quite broad in everything we do, really.
1: Fantastic. Um, so um, how did you how did you get started in animation? How, what led you to animation yourself? Um,
0: it's kind of a weird journey. I mean, I'm not really an animator. I'm actually a compositor by mm-hmm. trade. Um, so I started off in computer games a very long time ago, in, back in the midst of time. I worked for a company called Bullfrog Productions, doing games like Dungeon Keeper, Theme Hospital and, and things like that, that some people remember, some people do not, which makes me feel very old. Um, and that was my first job. I spent three years doing that, and actually, that actually taught me a hell of a lot, uh, particularly about um, sort of managing a company, running a company, running a creative company as well. I didn't really understand it then, but I mm-hmm. can see the patterns and I can see the things that other people were doing then, and I appreciate it a lot more now as well. I always wanted to do something to do with storytelling, filmmaking, or something, and because you know, in, in the sort of late 80s, early 90s when I was growing up, you didn't you didn't have DVDs, you didn't have uh, any making of, you just had films, and if you, only really if you were anywhere near a cinema, um, you know, films turned up maybe three years later on TV on, you know, as a bad picture on BBC at, at, at Christmas time or something, so films were videos, basically, or something you could watch on TV if there happened to be something scheduled, uh, but you never thought you'd actually be in the film industry. Um, so I actually, after computer games, I went and I got sort of Jaded about computer games very quickly. Once you once when you work and your gate and your job is testing games uh, for a living, which is basically playing broken games all the time. Actually, then going to do maybe filmmaking uh, would be quite fun. So I went to Newport University, as it was then, to do film and video, uh, which is now USW, um, which is based in Cardiff, um, and um, I did three years there. Then I graduated and actually when I was at university, I was doing a lot of visual visual effects work. It was the early days. It was like 90, you know, late 90s. So, um, you know, you've got the big visual effects films happening, you know, early 2000s. You've got all those, you know, Lord of the Rings of 2001, for goodness sakes. I was in my third year before that came out. So all these big visual effects will all start to use really interesting interesting techniques um, that you can actually eventually now do on your home, home computer. And I was starting to get into that. System learning techniques and trying to apply those as best as I could in very early versions of Premiere, 3D Studio, Max and everything else. So, so I developed a, obviously a taste for visual effects. And when I graduated, um, I went through various different small jobs uh, as you do. And then an animation company called Dynamo in Cardiff were looking for a compositor. So I sort of used After Effects to do a few things. So I essentially blagged my way <laughs> into the job by actually knowing a little bit about After Effects and learnt that way. You learnt the hard, you the cold face, as it were, uh, how to do the job and how to be creative and, and also how to do everything by a deadline, which was mm-hmm. one of the biggest lessons I learnt. Uh, when you're a student, you don't really have deadlines, apart from these kind of weird submission deadlines, then you do everything until three o'clock in the morning. But in the real world, you have to do everything by deadlines and you really do have to keep to them, it, it is important. So, um, so yeah, so I, I basically um, spent five years there and that's how I got into animation. I was taking my filmmaking into animation that way, and then for various reasons, um, I left that job, went back to visual effects again, do my own company, and then had, had the opportunity to start Cloth Cat. Um, Dynamo had got into trouble, so we rescued the projects from there, kept everyone going, and since then, I've moved away from VFX, moved more into animation, and now rather very much enjoy running a company. Uh, of at the moment thirty people we were about one hundred and ten people at one point when we had a number wow. of large projects going on, uh, which is obviously very difficult to find everybody in Cardiff. It's a lot mm. of people, uh, but at the moment we're about thirty staff working on the rubbish World of day spud a series two of that, and then another team working on interactive work. Um, so they're working on apps and games and doing quite a few mm. different projects there uh, using Unity and and a few other things. Um, we've also got a team working on a CG project uh, using Blender and Unreal. So we're looking at real-time rendering, also to mix with the game engine uh, rendering with uh, the game side of the company as well. So the idea that we've got assets working for both, uh, and a few internal IP projects as well. So it's quite varied what we're doing. Um, and at the moment, I'm sort of hunting for a new office <laughs> because we don't actually have one. We actually gave it up at the end of last year when the pandemic was obvious it was going to uh, keep going. Mm. Uh, we're going to be able to be back in a the space. There's no point in paying for a space. So currently, um, cloth cat Animation runs out in my back room uh, and everybody else is working in their home elsewhere. We will have a studio eventually,
1: uh, but I think only when it's safe to do so. That's mm. the idea. Of course. it's It's quite handy with the... With the kind of animation that you do, that, that you can work on some of it, I guess remotely. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's, I mean, with, if we
0: were doing stop motion, then obviously mm-hmm. there's much different. A lot of stop motion anim- animation projects have, have suffered. Uh, you know, you have to treat stop motion like live action, really. Uh, but with the luckily with the digital animation, and to be honest, because we were doing a particular kind of project with two D animation. And actually, because it happened to be doing the project at the time, which allowed us to do things remotely, um, I don't. Th- we didn't have the pipeline to do it, and we've been forced to experiment and do things now to actually fix that. So we're already looking at doing home working anyway, because it would have been. A, it's, it's good for work life balance. We want to offer staff the opportunity and also access to staff. Be, you know, beyond just the thirty minutes commute to our space in Cardiff, it wasn't really fair to keep asking people to do that all the time. Uh, particularly not when they've got childcare issues and actually it's a work-life balance thing. Animation does become a young person's game because sometimes, because of the fact that you move around a lot, you know, you know when, when you want a family, you want stability, animation isn't always the most stable uh, industry to be in. So, um, so we wanted home working. one way. We were just fortunate. If we'd, have, if we'd have done this two years ago, had this pandemic two years ago, we wouldn't hope. The technology wouldn't have been there. The infrastructure wouldn't have been there. Funnily enough, and I'd say this is a glass half full, definitely glass half full at the moment, you know, we were fortunate in this pandemic to actually have the technology just at the right time to be able to cope with it. You know, like we're talking now on this system, Zoom and everything else, you know, nobody really used Zoom much. It was really terrible to use even a year or so ago. Suddenly they really upped their game and, and happened to, to be in place. But if you think two or three years ago, you know, you really did not have this infrastructure for video calling. It wasn't people really didn't do it apart from Skype. And also, from our own point of view, from our own technology point of view, you know, we've been able to ad- uh, move to a system where we synchronise files across uh, locations. Uh, and actually, those that plugin that I'm using on my Synology box to, to, to back up everything from the cloud didn't exist a year ago. It's actually released in June last year. So it's quite literally the technology only existed in the summer for us to move to a very cloud-based, uh, you know, fragmented workflow. Mm means people can work at home but when we have a studio they can just bring their computer in plug into the internet and run it simplifies our lives actually massively
1: simplifies my it and actually gives me more security and control it's it's, as you say a glass half full kind of moment there that things have come along in in time almost to to help with that um a a question i just wrote down as, as we were going along um so for anybody watching can you explain what because we're looking at the different roles in animation as well as just animating. Um, mm. What would you say? What's the best way to describe com- compositing as a compositor? Oh, uh,
0: compositing is when is uh, a compositor makes everything look good. That's what mm. I always say. That's what I said to the DOPs D- on sets so we're, we're here to make you look good. Trust me. Trust us. Trust us to make it work. So, what a compositor is doing is basically taking all the elements that they're given, mm. whether it you know, a a backplate, a bit of animation, you know, smoke particle, or whatever. i putting all that together and making sure it's all joined up and it all looks good and it's all balanced and correct. That's what a composite is doing. Oftentimes they're doing something more complex than that, maybe, but generally speaking, that's it. Well, a, compos- a composite in the film sense, going all the way back to, well, even, even Melies, it's it's um, you know basically taking multiple bits of film and, and filming them together with mats and cutouts and things like that to put multiple images together on a single piece of film as a visual effect. And that's the same, that's exactly what it is. Obviously, in these days, you know, it's obviously you're digital and you're using After Effects, Nuke or, or whatever to do it. And the tools are very sophisticated. But essentially, the principle is still the same. Mm. And in fact, the tools still use film naming to do everything because, um, you know, that's what people that's how it's known. And also the way that light works, particularly with film particularly people are still using film, and in fact, digital film still is raw, it's Still, a, it's still a photography system, even though it's just, you know, pixels and, 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 and cells and things like that. Um, it's still using film naming. It's still an aperture. It's still still trying It's trying to record light and manipulate mm-hmm. light. At the end of the day, that's all it's doing, is manipulating light. Um, it doesn't matter if it's film or digital, it's all the same thing. And so the naming still works in that way. Even though some of it's very annoying,
1: sometimes. Just to remind everyone, you're welcome to send in some questions, when um, we'll read them coming up in the comments. There is a bit of a delay, so don't think we're ignoring you. Uh, let me see what else I've got here. As, as you were saying that you've you've got th- uh, about thirty people working for uh, yeah. for the company now, Um working on something like uh, Lao Bebe, where you worked with uh, the, the talent in Beijing, um, and yeah. how was it? Collaborating with them um, with a different cult, uh, as, as in the sort of similar words to us in in the different culture, the culture swap. That's the kind of word yeah How yeah was, no, I'll, I'll I'll pronounce it Luabao Bay. Luba Bay. Sorry. Or I could go LBB. <laughs> Luba, it was just LBB, LBB. It's fine. That's that's what we do.
0: LBB. Um, but actually, I think in fact, the name's a good a good um, a good thing actually because that was actually one thing where I. I tried to argue for them to change the name, and that's, they were insistent on keeping the name because obviously it's, it's her name, Lua Ba Pei. Yeah. and it's it's actually quite significant because the Lua bit obviously is a difficult mm. thing for Westerners. It's 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 a you know a Chinese word that has no correspondence to, you uh, know, you know, a, 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 a consonant or anything like that in 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 the English language or indeed any other European language however is obviously very important to the Chinese because it's a common name it means river goddess it's you know it's and it's intrinsic to her and it's the creator um grace it was her you know she wanted to make sure that that name was kept um, and we were thinking of alternative names and to be honest we couldn't think of an alternative it wasn't wasn't I, I was just very concerned about having the name for that reason but then again that was my assumption of you know how westerners should be treated, whereas actually I think we should learn um, a bit more respect for the Chinese language and understand it a bit more. So to be honest, that was my naivety about that. And it's a really good point in the fact that what we what we were trying to do was learn about each other's cultures, not impose each other's cultures. Mm. And that's the fun thing. Obviously, when you're working with China, you have to bear in mind they have a cultural imperative. I mean, what we were doing, we were a service company to China, a Chinese company. So normally it's the other way around. We were service to them. So they came and said, look, we want to use the UK company because we respect the work that's done in the UK. We really value it. We think it's a huge amount of work done here. That's good. We want a UK company to do it. We're willing to pay, which is obviously very nice. But we also want to internationalise a brand, you know, Luba Bay, that had never been outside of China. And was actually very Chinese, we're very specific. They've done animations already, they've done a couple of series, uh, and a bit of merchandise. But we knew watching it, that it would never really work for international audiences. It was very local, very specific, um, had huge compliance issues uh, with some of the content, where it was quite violent or, uh, it, but also the storytelling was strange to us. It, it, it's, it's very um, sort of uh, Chinese, perhaps Japanese, perhaps Asian in its storytelling because of the way that some of it's structured and also taking us certain mythologies that we don't know anything about at all. You know, we're steeped in certain mythology in the West, which actually informs our storytelling, the way that we tell things, the shorthands we use. Obviously in China, they have very similar things, but we don't know them. So, cause when we see their storytelling, we think it's strange, it's perfectly natural to them. Mm. Uh, so, to India, for example, you look at the shadow puppets, and you know those, these the plays go on for hours about gods and everything else. And for us, it's it's impenetrable, mm. but to them, it's everyday stories. And I think that 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 in itself has to be respected. And I we went to Beijing to meet them, and obviously they'd be to see us already, but we went to Beijing to meet them, and actually have a tour, a proper tour of Beijing, and actually go around it as a person living there, not just a to- I mean, we did some touristy things, obviously. Mm. Great Wall and Forbidden City and everything. have yeah. got to do that. But what we did do is go to the local parks. We see how people interacted. We see how people used them, how the old people were, lived with the younger people, um, how they lived in blocks of flats, how they had you know certain things on the wall, um, you, know, what, uh, you know what superstitions they had, what this they had and everything else. We, we kind of try to immerse yourself in the life and mm. um, even with Louis Barbet, I mean, we, we literally st- started again from scratch, kept the character and built everything else around it. We kept a few elements on, from the previous series, like Pink Bear, but wove a new story. And we tried to come up with, you know, some high concept ideas, She, you know, working at a circus or something like that. But none of them were really working. And that's really because, really, it's about a little girl mm. to learn to grow up. Being a good family member, having good, you know, being a good friends and everything else. So it, it, it's about for us realizing actually, we it's it's about family, and that is common all over the world. Whether you're in a tower block in China or you know a suburban house in Cardiff, you know here, family is still family, and your extended family, the chaos of your family as well, whether you have you know whatever family makeup you have, that's you know. Th- those experiences are common across the world and that's what we made it so we we ended up making is about um a girl who happens to be chinese living in a neighborhood that's very china influenced not mm. could be anywhere in the world
1: yeah.
0: um certainly it the uk it's somewhere in the uk that's a chinese-esque neighborhood or something like that it's got a few chinese um people in it and so we tried to try to give it that mix mm. and Faye, her, her friend is actually welsh in the in the in the series yeah. anyway so we can make sure we got some Welsh in there, um, and Faye is very, very, very Welsh. Mm. Um, but that—that that was it really to so make it um, universal, uh, and it and, and you know plays very well in Australia, for example. where There's a large Chinese expat community, so for them, for the second generation Chinese born outside of China in you know Australia, to Chinese parents and all the some of the demands that that, that they have, but also some of the the influences that they have from, from Western culture as well. So I think what we try to do is bridge it and find common places rather
1: than insist too much on things being exclusive. I definitely got that feeling from it that it could be anywhere uh, and it's quite, quite a nice mix of everything. It could be a mixture of different cultures in it. Uh, yeah, Of course yeah. there is the Chinese culture and then there's um, the Welsh car- character, sorry it's Faye, no. Yeah, that's it, yeah, Faye. yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, no, Faye, yeah. We,
0: we did a in the second series we did a like a little food competition. So Faye gets to do lava bread, and uh, Largubi okay. doesn't like it. So um, so we threw lava bread in. I wanted Welsh cakes, but of course everyone likes Welsh cakes. So you know, you could have baked stones, did not you? I mean, and uh, what I then do is take baked stones to to to, to Chinese sea, and they always they always are they're always after them. So. Mm. That's usually my presents. I to go to the market in, in, in Cardiff and get the, from the Bakestone stall and uh, take some presents over with me.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. We've got a couple of questions. I'll go from the top. So we've got one from Fionn. Um, she's confused by all the different roles in a studio. How are the roles spread out with the 30-odd people in Clothcat?
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing. People assume that um, that animation is just people animating, but it isn't. So you've got, in fact, good half the people on, you know, uh, half and half on on any particular show are actually people not animating. They are rigging, designing, storyboarding, editing, doing the production management, uh, you know, quite a large range of things, all the support stuff. So I think that's the thing is that in an animation company, I mean, I'm obviously running it, and I mm-hmm. I spend most of my time doing spreadsheets and QuickBooks and, and everything else, um, but I'm also directing a few things as well. But then I have a structure below me, so I have project management, and then we have people then who are, and then producer, I have Ben, who's a creative producer on the interactive side, so he's managing those projects. I then have Julia, who's production manager, head of production management, so she's managing all the little projects, making sure they all work. Depending on the size of the project, then we'll have its own its own production management, because like on Dave Spud, for example, it, it needs dedicated people to make that work. But really, what then what you've got on, you know, taking Dave Spud as an example, you've got... Um, you, we've, we've got riggers, we've got designers people who are building the props, building the characters making sure they work for the animators testing them, then go back then you've got layout, which is laying out the scenes ready for the animators, so they're making mm. sure the cameras are right, everything's in there, all the assets are in there, bringing everything into one in, one thing, so the animator, all the animators to do is to open it up and then start blocking, uh, then you've got obviously the animation team um, who then render, using our render farm system, which at the moment is in a uh, an IT room somewhere in, in Cardiff Bay um, mm-hmm. thankfully all very remote um, which is good and then we got Kodisha who's editing uh, Dave Spud as well so she put bringing all that together and making sure it all works uh, and then because we're working in conjunction with a company in London illuminated doing Dave Spud they are then taking the final shots final edits and finishing everything there they provide us the storyboard and, and, and the designs, but then we take it over from that point and hand it back. So on Le Bay, we did everything. We did everything from write, script writing all the way to the final delivery. Mm-hmm. On Dave Spud, we just do the middle bit. Uh, and, you know, other projects, we do different bits. It just depends on the financial makeup of the project mm-hmm. or, and the global makeup of the project. If we did a co-production, say, with another country, we'll be then dividing the work accordingly. So... It just depends on the product, and you know, pretty much, you've got that production system going through. And mm. actually, a lot of people think that they can, you know, the, the pinnacle has to be animation, but actually, there's plenty of other jobs in animation that don't involve just animating. They're mm. actually quite really sought after. And if you're willing to actually experiment a bit, there's there's quite a lot out there. So you know, that, that's on the game side. Then you've got programmers, but then actually, you've got the same kind of artists as well. We have artists and programmers sitting next to each other. And part of our push to do game engine rendering is to have all the assets available for both animation and the games at the same time, mm. uh, building up content that way so that we're not chasing, you know, once we finish an animation, they want to do some interactive. We haven't got to rework all the assets. Actually, everything's already there in place. So that, that's that been our big experiment over the last few years.
1: It's, it's really interesting to hear that as well because something that is, is a good point is having people that... It, You'd think, for example, with stop motion, you have the people that create the sets and the props and the puppets, and then the animators for those. But it's the same, as you say, for 2D and 3D, you'd have to have the people create those as well. You don't have to be doing all of it yourself in the process. Yeah.
0: Sensory. Well, everything has to be made. Everything everything in animation has to be drawn, created in some way. Even if you use the photographic elements, you still got to photograph and get the right ones. Mm. You can't, can't rely on Google image search for that one.
1: No, no. Uh, no, no. But, <laughs>
0: Just don't tell anyone that. I I used to do that all the time. Just go and give Google's image search, and then tweak it a bit in Photoshop, and then that's fine. That'll do. Um, I had a very quick turnaround on some of those projects. That's yeah. why. But um, but yeah, you know, in the end, everyone, you know, organ- organization of a project is deeply important because actually you've got huge, very strict deadlines. Animation, really, if you want to look at it, is is, is manufacturing. It's it's a production process and it you you can't take as much time as you like you've got to get it delivered and right and on time you're paying people by the day to sit there and do the work and you're being paid you know a fixed budget by your you know people giving you money in order to make the stuff so you know nothing you know in the case of day spud you know obviously we you know it's not our project necessarily we're we're servicing the animation but Mm. we've also got to make sure that we are uh, doing a good job and and it's handed over and talking you know working with the director who's also remote as well, um, you know. But we in some ways we're already used to doing it. We're already used to working with multiple locations and multiple people. So when the pandemic came along, it was just a matter of getting the crew to be at home. Mm. But the reality was all the conversations we were having really with our you know production partners, it was all remote
1: anyway sorry well while, while you mentioned dave spud I'll, I'll come back to a couple of these questions but uh wilfred is asking well he says that dave spud's really cool he's, and he's asking how do you know that people would appreciate the humor i guess as you said you were no. writing stages
0: but... i think we're not writing but but no i mean the thing we got involved in it quite early before the writing really even started so ed who's the director uh, you know, obviously, and there's a few scripts available uh, that you'd done. So it was, it was a kind of a no-brainer. Once you read them, well, when when you look at it, and you kind of think it may not work. But then you read the scripts, and they were just so, so funny and so wonderful and so touching and so you know, so natural. I mean, a lot of it's based on Ed's family and and kind of. I mean, obviously not real, literally, because mm-hmm. that was strange. But, um, but, you know, a lot of it's based on his own family experience and things like that. He's, he's, he's written it or, or, you know, created it from the heart. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it comes back to Louis Bay as well. In the end, you create it from the heart. You create it from what you know. Grace, who is the creator of Louis Bay, she said, LBB is love. That mm. that was really what she said. And it was, you know, she didn't speak English, uh, much English, really. But obviously not at the time. She speaks more English now. But, um, but then it was, you know, difficult for her to communicate creatively,
1: Mm.
0: But she was very clear about what she wanted to see, and and, and it was it just had to be simple, really. So a Dave spurred as well. It's you know, it, all the good shows are written from the heart, really. You can tell the ones that are, you know, uh, uh, the cash grabs. Mm. Um, as much as I'd love to have one, believe me, I would lead do with the cash, and I will end up doing one inevitably, just in order to have uh, have that. But you know, the the best ones that land stay with us. I mm. want. No, I mean, Cloth Cat is named after Bagpus, it's named after oh, okay. the saggy or cloth cat. Oh, okay. Um, you know, that was my favorite when I was growing up. And that was all made in the small film studio down in Kent mm. with a little you know that was that the side of the barn or something like that. And it was, it was his daughter. It was all made in stop motion. I mean, you know, that, that love of storytelling. In the end, storytelling is so very, very simple. It's and can be boiled down to somebody sitting around a campfire telling a story, but you've got to tell it with you can't just repeat the word, you've got to tell it with love mm. and, and energy and interest. And that's how, how you hold people's attention. It's acting, and in the end, that's sort all of animation really is is just acting through a puppet. And you know, my long rambling discussion here I mean, you know, that, that's the best animator, the one to understand how to act through a mm. puppet. Um, and to bring them to life. And that's really all you want to see. It's not a technical thing, it's a creative thing. And that hasn't changed since, you know, animation started, since Magic Lantern shows, for goodness sake. You know, since, you know, if you go to India and you watch the, you know, uh, Shadow puppet epics, it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. They're they're, they're acting, they're telling a story, which is also why I don't think you'll ever have virtual actors because in the end, you still got to drive it with something that's a human emotion. You know, I, I don't. I don't think it'll ever be replaced. It's too much hard work.
1: <laughs> it uh, there's some really nice points in there, and it's, it's it's a nice um, it's it's along the lines of something that I say, which is, it's it's one thing to make something move, and then you've got to bring it to life. It's yeah, that kind of thing, it's you, you've got to fill it with life and love and. Yeah,
0: it's it's really help. Um, I mean, when we had the studio, we uh, sort of let it out for life drawing classes, for example. You can't get away, even if you're using all the digital tools, you can't get away from the fact that you're still bringing a, a something. You need to make something breathe. You need to make something mm. react. You know, the Pixar logo is a perfect example of that. You know, it's it's um, you know Luxor Junior. Well, you know, it's an inanimate object brought to life and 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 playing around with a ball. The whole point of that was that John Lester wanted to show that computer animation could have as much depth as draw animation. The challenge for him really was actually, you know I might as well use an inanimate object and bring it to life to show that it can work. Um, and he did, and that was, you know, the early 80s and the rest is literally history. So, um, you know, and, and, and now, well, you know, he's, he's fallen from grace now, but obviously, Pretty much Pixar took over Disney, really, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Certains of animation.
1: Um, sorry, I'm going to catch up with some of these questions. So, we've got, a, we've got a couple from Wilfred that are similar, so I'll put them together. So, what's the favorite project you've worked on, uh, and what are you most proud of? So, to try and incorporate. Oh, that. God, I don't know, to be honest.
0: There's been so many. I mean, this is the trouble is that I've had so many different, kind of varying careers, if you see what I mean. Yeah, um, you know, started off with computer games. I loved working on Dungeon Keeper. Um, then you go into films, and then I've worked on some fun film projects. It's actually, Grandpa Pocket, when I was doing that with Dino, it was good fun mm-hmm. because you know, we ran for a number of years, helped set up Cloth Cat actually at the time as well when I did series four with them, and you know, it's and Haha Harry's as well. So it was a good long term relationship with them, really, with the producers, Melly and Jan, and 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 um, so. You know, it's, and then obviously when it comes to dining uh, you know, to Cloth Cat now, I love working on LBB because it gave me such an insight into a new culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shane the Chef was great because, you know, got us to w- w- work on CG work. Ethan Ernest, I see net mentioned there as well. We got to work on a, you know, a hand-drawn feature film, which, you know, uh, I sadly never got to meet Raymond Briggs. It was too late to do that. You know, he'd already filmed his section by that point. But, um, but no, I think that's the thing is that, you know, with animation, it's it's a difficult industry. It's a very temporary industry. It's not very predictable. Um, you know, the jobs aren't long-term, they're small and they, they move around, but you get to work on such a variety of projects. And if I kind of bring it back to kind of teaching point, you know, when you learn it, the core of animation, as I said, is still the same as it was hundred and odd years ago, when people were drawing the first animations and doing things, it's about bringing something to life. The tool you're using, can be anything—a puppet, stop motion, CG, two D, drawn, sand. It could be anything. That you you can animate. You can bring. You can adjust over time. But whether you can bring it to life—that's the thing. So, you know, we specialize in, uh, you know, sort of digital animation. But then it's just what we use and tell the story. And you know, with Athlon Earnest was a great example, actually. Um, of um, yeah, we so yeah, somebody asking whether we did the campaign. Yeah, so we. That was all done in TV paint. That's all digital, actually. But it's taken from uh, watercolor splotches and and things. So it was all composited and new. It was all composited digitally. However, the underlying texture is real watercolor. You still can't get away from that. You still kind of get away from the imperfections. You know, we we actually added a lot of imperfections into it to make it feel as if it was fully hand drawn. But the reality was, it was all most of it digital that turns out the irony really of a lot of animation is you spend a huge amount of time making it not look like animation not look like mm. digital you're roughing it you're roughening everything up you saw that on wally for example you know with Pixar, when they first really started to take cinematography seriously they hired roger Deakins to advise them and you can see what they did what he did is added the imperfections he added the imperfections of lenses and mm. said you know, the lens aren't perfect. They're a physical object, the same as anything else. Stop trying to make it mathematically perfect. Yeah. Make it visually right. Matter mm. uh, You know, visually right is what you want to see, not what it, mathematically it should be. It's about interpretation. And that's what all art is, really, just interpreting something to hopefully tell somebody what you're thinking. Mm. That's all that art really is. And it's the same with writing, same with anything else. You're interpreting something in order to reflect reality and comment on it for the benefit of somebody else and to give them an emotional reaction as well. That's the key thing. So you know, a lot of people, you know, art is sometimes impenetrable, but sometimes that's because probably people are overthinking it a little
1: bit too much. It's well, it's like uh, an example of how effective the imperfections are. Yeah. is with Ardman with their film Flushed Away. So that's their first, I think it was their first attempt to at a 3D film. Um, yeah. Um, and you can tell the difference because they've got the same style but the thing that's wrong, well not wrong with it but the thing that's different about it, the characters don't have the thumb marks, they don't have exactly the, the texture on them that they'd have if they were yeah. the objects that they have. And that's what they yeah. use, are known for leaving that in because it adds the warmth to it and the that's it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, just you have to do the imperfections of reality um, mm. and that makes it more organic then, uh, which is very hard to do in CG sometimes. Um, mm. You know, it is it is challenging, mm. um, but then sometimes those 5% extra details make all the difference um, and make it not look too clean. But there's always, there's always a place for clean as well. So CG animation can be clean as well. It doesn't have to be imperfections, mm. but it still it still has to have an artistic intent. Otherwise, it's just blood numbers, and it loses some meaning. Then I think.
1: So Wilfred's asking, what advice would you give to young people thinking of getting jobs in the animation, gaming, just film industry?
0: You know, I, I'm not going to say where to go and do it because everything mm. changes all the time. There's plenty of also universities there. Um, University is probably a good route to go. I, I would say rely on it, use it as a safety net for yourself for three years in order to find. And options and trial things. You're going to have to teach yourself a lot of things uh, because really universities can't teach all the software. Uh, yeah. And then again, you know, 20 years ago when I was learning, I had to learn everything from manual, you know, from printed manual for goodness sake. Now you've got everything on on YouTube. So um, you know you, you can learn all the software yourself. It's how you apply the software and uh, and actually find the voice and find your acting. That's what university can give you a, a foundation for. And you should always be learning, anyway. I'm, I'm always learning. To be honest, I was I was dealing with a, a problem, back, you know, sort of back there trying to solve an installation problem. Um, so you know, it's 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 uh, you know, I'm always learning, I'm always looking things up and trying to fix things, uh, and I will always be learning. So I think a lot of the tasks are very similar. I make sure you get a good foundation and really understand what all the jobs on a production do. Mm-hmm. Not simply just your narrow bit that you're interested in. Understand how you fit into the pipeline, because if you don't understand how to do your bit, but also do it in a way that the person next in the in the in the in the process can deal with it, then you, you will constantly make mistakes. Um, you, you know, you're not on your own. You're not a, a lone ranger animation person. You are going to be part of a machine bringing something to life. You don't. You do your job properly. Take your bit. Do your animation and then pass it on the right way, in the right format, with the right you know hooks and everything else. Then, um, you know, th- then you'll fail because in the end, the co- you know, for, for me as a company, I need to rely on everyone doing their bits, but doing it in such a way that it works the whole of the production. It's got to be smooth. So I think that's the main thing: is is understand to do more than just your narrow interest. Otherwise, you won't understand why people are asking you things. Mm. It's why actually, to be honest, I would say, if there's animation in particular. Don't, you know, go do animation first before you think about storyboard, rigging, design, and everything else. If you don't understand all the pre-production jobs. If you don't understand what, why you're storyboarding something, why using certain camera angles or how you want to optimise the, you know, or not see certain angles and, and why people might be shouting at you because you, you've, designed, you've done three different angles and they've got to draw the background suddenly rather than just one. If you don't understand how to animate a character, you want to have to rig a rig character for animators. You can learn the process of rigging, but if you don't understand why something doesn't actually work for an animator or why the legs shouldn't bend that way, it might be correct based on the tutorial you did, Mm. but you as an animator should understand why something needs to be rigged in a certain way and how to simplify it and how to make a common rig, perhaps, for for multiple characters. Same thing with design. You could be a character designer. Mm. Often people find you know, make, make a city route. But actually, um, what was I my rant then? No, I think, I think it was about character design, wasn't it? So, um, uh, you know, with character design, you've got to understand why you're designing a character for animation, how to design a character for animation, not simply, hey, here's my nice design, move on to the next one. If you've done things like, you know, put joins in the wrong place, you've added too much decoration, and done a pattern on the shirt, which we, can't animate, you know, particularly with 2D animation patterns are very difficult to deal with. Uh, particularly, you know, if you want to do a limb joint, then you hide, you're going to hide the limb joint under common color. If you suddenly mm-hmm. put a texture like this on there, it's very difficult to handle. So, all those kind of things, you really got to understand why you're animating, how to do it, and what an animator's. You know, you don't want to get to the point of animation and everyone goes, hold on, we can't use this. This isn't rigged correctly. This doesn't have many features. You've, you've overdone this. This is too complicated. This pattern's not going to work. The moment I move the arm, it, it moves up and, you know, it just suddenly stretches. All those things you, you've got to understand. That the pre-production uh, team are all there to support the animators to make sure they've got all the assets they need to do their job quickly and efficiently. In the semi the compositor needs to make sure that everyone's exporting all their shots correctly and in the right place otherwise the compositor can't find them which is mm. how you know for me i had to come in and instigate a lot of file naming conventions it's very boring and very admin heavy mm. but if you don't get the admin right then you can't find anything and you lose things and your version always using version numbers properly don't put final on anything ever. You know, just version up, version one, two, three, four, never put final anything because chances are nothing's ever final mm-hmm. um, when it's finished. So it's all those things where, you know, you, you've got to learn, you've got to learn how to be a good, efficient worker and to, and to be part of the team. So hopefully, you know, uh, to get a step up in the industry is actually about practice and about learning how to fit into a group. Uh, Because you're never going to be working on your own. You're always going to be working with other people. Even if you do your own projects, even if somebody is hiring you for your style, you're probably still going to be then directing people. So you're going to learn how to direct people and manage people. So I, I would always say, you know, don't run off and try and start a company straight away because actually you won't understand what to do. You won't be prepared for it. You'll be inexperienced, actually. Go watch other people work. Go and look at other companies. Don't rush into doing something when actually you you could learn by watching over other people's shoulder and be paid for the privilege as well. So that's how I learned, really. I mean, I, I started the you know, Cloth Cap, um, you know, sort of nine years ago, really. There's a few other things. But I had a few false starts before that. Mm. When I was very experienced, had no idea what I was doing. And I'm really glad they didn't succeed because I, it would have been a nightmare. I'd have lost a lot of money and I would have been incompetent. I've had to learn a lot and I'm still learning now you know every day something crops up that is a challenge for me to deal with that i've somehow got to figure out but that's life life is a series of challenges you just got to figure out how to how to deal with and that all comes down to education and experience
1: you're always going to be educating yourself so much good advice and, and background into into that and there and like you say as well you're always learning uh, i feel the same i'm always learning things and it's good to do mm-hmm. your own research on things it uh i found in university was the same they were there in one sense but then if you don't do anything yourself if you're relying on it being the university if, if you don't do anything you don't. yeah you won't learn the extra things that get you get you through it so it's uh, yeah yeah no need
0: um, yeah any other questions that uh need answering i don't know I
1: Any other questions in the comments yet yeah. um but I'm sure there will be in a second. I'll just see if I've got any more on my list, because I know we sort of answered them <laughs> as we went through. Oh, do we, have, we have one there. Do I tend have...
0: to personal projects? Oh, I wish. Um, I mean, in a way, everything's a personal project with Cloth Cats. It is my company. Um, so, you know, it's, it's... But, I mean, I stopped doing filmmaking a little while ago, and it, I do regret not being able to do it, but then again... A lot, you know. Funny enough, this has come up a couple of times recently with friends of mine, actually, about concerns that they're not following the path they set for themselves, or I'm not achieving my ambitions, or anything else. That and I went, you know, to be honest. I mean, I I've, I've moved from career to career, and what I learned to embrace was the random, um, and not worry too much about achieving a set thing. Oh, I must be a director. I must be this. I must be that. Mainly because actually when you realise actually most people on anything are never going to be a director because there's only one director on a film There might be several thousand crew. Well, you know what? They're not all going to be directors. So actually in some ways, uh, you know, find find a good niche for yourself and settle because actually get really good at that and you'll be well paid. Um, you don't always have to be moving up. Chances are you probably price yourself out of the market if you do um and actually you've become overqualified a friend of mine is complaining at the moment that he can't get out of the job because he's paid reasonably well and he's actually overqualified but he's not unhappy doing it so mm-hmm. he's applied for the jobs and then got turned down because they said well you're taking a pay cut and you're overqualified this doesn't make sense you know you, you want to leave soon like well so in the end actually he, he kind of he kind of moved up too fast Mm. Uh, this, this is an education, this is not an animation. Mm. But but it's a case in point where, you know, it's, it's, you know, take your time with it and find a good balance. And if you actually, you know, my, my brother works on computer games, he just does programming. He he can move up into management if he wants to, but he couldn't. He doesn't want to. He wants mm. to program. That's what he enjoys doing. And he's happy staying the level he is because, um, because he knows A, it's res- respected, uh, it's rewarded, but also he. Is able to do the thing he loves you know I, I don't get to do personal projects really because i'm managing a company mm. uh i don't get to animate i don't get to depositing anymore but that's my responsibility and i took that on but not everyone can run a company uh and goodness i can't but it's it's not everyone has to either mm. you know I, I think that's the thing that actually you can you, you can actually find a lot of reward in in doing a good job well mm. and being part of a good team and making sure something works mm. ambition sometimes it'll take you too far. I think it's, it's it's good to have a balance. You know, you may get to direct something, great, you know what? But then look at how you can then you can fit in with a job elsewhere, sometime, you know, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows if all this changes tomorrow and you know cloth gap changes, I'll go and do something else. You know, I will say to you know to students and anybody else is is um you know opportunities come along all the time. They really do. Mm-hmm. It's just A, be in the right place at the right time, mostly that's luck. And who you know but you've got to get yourself out there and talk to people not be an annoyance obviously but talk to people but also train yourself to be able to take advantage of those jobs when they come along you know every time i had a job i taught myself something new and i still do i can i can use cameras i can use sound equipment i can i could direct a feature film tomorrow i could do my own storyboards i understand how animation works even if i don't do it myself i know all the technology i built render farms you know every time i'm not, you know just, just researching Google, I've done the research, taught myself something, realized how, some, how something works and the structure works and applied that. Sometimes I got it wrong. Sometimes I got it very wrong. But you learn from those mistakes and you learn not to do it again. You change it the next time. So, you know, I I always I I, I say we don't worry about changing your career. You know, it, it's more about whether or not you are or your career changing you. It's not a bad thing. It's sometimes embrace it and find find the positivity in that because actually you'll probably find your own way of doing things that might be new or something uh, or different, mm-hmm. and you can experiment within that. There's lots of things I've done in cloth cap because uh, a different maybe to the animation industry because I got the visual effects background, mm-hmm. um, and I my my experience of workflows and managing workflows and things. So I've got a visual effects kind of like workflow into animation that means we can automate a lot of our tasks well. A lot of animation companies are still using spreadsheets to manage their projects. Well, we use an F Track and Deadline Manager, and everyone just presses a button. It goes off to Cardiff and renders, and goes into the cloud there. And MPEG four goes over there, and a movie goes over there. You know, it's it's that kind of mixing up that knowledge mm. is important for solving creative problems. And that's all you're doing when you've got a creative company is you're solving creative problems. You, you know, there's always something else to do differently. So. My, my, my personal thing now is I take photographs and I have an Instagram, so that's my little creative outlet. So I went to London over the weekend for the first time since August last year. I actually got down to Wales um, and wandered around to Greenwich taking photographs. That keeps me happy for for a little while. It, you know, you make you make, make make what you can. Don't don't follow us. Don't assume you've got to be this, that, and the other, or you've got to set path when you're 18. that You must achieve that, otherwise you'll be a failure. Mm. Uh, to be honest chances are yes you know you probably will be a failure um there's there's only so many jobs out there and a lot of people learning animation um not everyone gets that chance but you've got to be ready to take it when you
1: that's really nice the i mean i felt something similar quite recently really of um feeling almost almost like a fraud by saying i'm an animator because i've not mm. done many animations per se it's more I I but when I look back at what I have done, the the I teach more than I do my own projects and I have worked on things with people and collaborated. So it's not yeah. about having a showreel of all the animations I've finished. It's not about making loads of short films. Although I like short films and music videos and things, I've had input into those, but it doesn't mean that I'm not an no. animation. I know I know it, I'm passionate about it and I help others to understand it and, and get around it. And, and it, feel, it made me feel a lot better knowing that, accepting that, that like, not thinking I should have done this by now. I should be this far. I'm, I'm not far enough. It's, it's nice to accept yeah. that there yeah. are different levels of things. And and as long as you're happy with it as well, if you can yeah. still be no, happy. You
0: know, not, not everyone's going to get the chance to run an animation company, but then yeah. again, most people shouldn't, to be honest. It's not... You need to know a hell of a lot to do this, and I've learned the hard way how to do most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I spend a lot of my time dealing with tax, dealing with you know HR issues, dealing with employment, you know, law, you know, maternity cover, you know, all these things that actually has nothing to do with animation. It's just about managing a company, mm-hmm. and that's what people don't understand. You know, it, it, the idea of running a company sounds great. Oh, you get to run a company and be in charge. Well, actually, the reality of it's not that fun.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: like acting. You know, everyone thinks, wow, a film set. The reality of acting is, you you know, you are made to stand in front of a load of people who are incredibly bored and want to go home. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to invite in a costume that's held together with pins in a drafty studio somewhere, if you're lucky to be at a studio somewhere, uh, and you've had some slightly dodgy craft services and you're wondering how close the toilet is. So, you know, acting is not, you know, the glamour of the creative industries is there as part of the selling of it and of course mm. this glamour. but the reality of it is you're doing a hell of a lot of hard work and you've got to make sure you're paid for it at the same time because a lot of people are willing to do stuff for not many money uh, and a lot of people are willing to take advantage of people who are willing to do it for no money mm. so you know you've got to be very careful with with how you're selling yourself as well as selling you know mm. as well as working uh, for other people as well
1: mm. Is uh, what I found here as well the way that we work? It, it was such a small team at the start, so people had more jobs like uh, uh, put on many hats, as it yeah. were. And it's the same sort of thing is once you found one that you can concentrate on, it makes it a lot easier if someone else is that you can delegate or you can work on. You don't feel like you have to do everything, yeah, that's what makes it harder. And if you enjoy something, you can put more effort into it if you just focus on that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It
0: yeah, it's learning how to work with other people and actually delegate, but also respect other people and, and collaborate. So you're always working in a team one way or another. So yeah. Question about... Um, yeah, software. Um, yeah, to uh, you can. You, I mean, you can animate most things. Really, I mean, Photoshop. You can animate even in. Um, we use um, for all the two D animation we do. We can use cell Action. Uh, which is an industry-standard software used for Pepper Pig and everything else. We use that for Lou Bay and everything, um, but that's not really freely available. I mean, Adobe Animate you've got, which in the Adobe package, if you've got that. But if not, use Blender. Um, we're telling, you know, we're using Blender a lot now uh, for driving CG animation because uh, Maya is just hugely expensive and overpriced, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, Blender's free, and it actually works really well. And it's got a a grease pencil tool that you can obviously animate in 2D as well as 3D. And a lot of 2D animators are going, actually this feels just like the old Flash did. Great, okay, let's use this instead. Storyboard artists are using Blender uh, to do storyboards, for example. Actually, Blender is actually proven a real boon, I think. The animation industry is gonna change a lot of things. And it's open source, so you can freely download it, it's fine. Then, I mean, Toon Boom is the other 2D animation software uh that you get but again that's quite pricey although i think there's there's kind of learning versions available um and then we did ethanolness with tv paint but that's very specifically designed towards the hand-drawn uh, mm-hmm. so, um your traditional animation uh, yeah. uh, uh companies so you know it, it depends which you want to use i mean personally speaking i would just obviously start using blender it's good and also it's good to have an understanding of 2d and 3d um, you know, the standard rigs in there. You just download a character rig and start animating. There's nothing, you know, you don't have to build anything from scratch. Um, if it, most people don't. So if you're an animator, you're going to get everything built for you. You just have to make sure you can animate it, although appreciate how somebody's built something uh, always. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing, you know, with Blender, there's loads of basic
1: stuff available. Go and use that. That's okay. We've got, um, we've recently downloaded Blender, here at the studio for ready for when people are coming back into the center. We've got blender and we've got the Adobe creative package. So we've got quite a lot yeah. of, of that software available now. And I, I've not had a proper glow on blender. Um, as I say, I'm more stop motion based things. I have wanted to try it for ages. And as soon as I've got five minutes, which is never, I will be yeah. <laughs> on there having a look. Um,
0: yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 Blender's blender is a good thing to use. I think going forward.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. It's it, I mean, from what I've seen on the tra- uh, trailers, demos and things of it, it looks yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like it can do everything, doesn't it? It's <laughs> and then I think we're also going to get the box, which is the sculpting. Sculpting one it's like Z brush. Oh Mudbox. Uh, Mudbox? Is it Is it Mudbox the Autot one? I think so. Um but yeah. It's like, yeah, the, the one where you get, like, pretty much a ball of clay. And so try yes. that. I think There's one that works with Blender. I can't remember which one. But, oh, yeah, so uh, Fionn's asking, saying yeah. that um, I need to watch a lot of YouTube tutorials. Yeah, it's, it's the, so much is
0: on YouTube, you should get it. I mean, that's, that's you know, half, half the stuff I learned, I learned from YouTube, just watching somebody yeah. else do it. Uh, it's nice and easy. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge amount is out there, particularly if you're learning, you know, starting out. I mean, okay some of the more complex stuff, but to be honest, the way that I learned was simply by setting myself a challenge, saying, how can I figure out how to do this? Mm-hmm. I'll learn all the settings, learn all the options, see what they do, see if they can apply to me, and then figure it out. I had to learn the hardware with 3D Studio Max and it, like when it was version, I don't know, two or something stupid like that years ago in modern, in 2000. You know, 2000, 2001, and the only way I learned how to do it was just literally just playing with the options and figuring mm. out. Oh, this does this. Oh, right, okay. So if I apply this this way, I can animate this over time, and oh, I can do this, and I can. Okay, right. so I can pull these together. Now I understand how this works. It, it's as simple as that. You know, there's not. It, yes, there is a learning curve, but there's so much of out there available. That, in fact, there's no excuse not to learn. If you say you don't know something, to be honest, it's, mm. without being harsh, it's because you're not trying. Mm. You know, if, if you need to learn it, learn it. Everyone else is, everyone else can. If other people are able to do this, then you can. There's nothing stopping you. There's no no special formula. There's no implant of chip implant in your brain that somehow makes you use Blender better than somebody else. No, it's not. It's about
1: practice and experience. Mm. And but somebody has to start somewhere. Yeah, you know? I found the same way through university. A lot of it was I watched bon- any bonus features on DVDs and every featurette to do with and behind the scenes of things on how they've done them. And, yeah. and then there's, there's always handy books and stuff. Uh, I always it's see the, the same titles coming right? up uh, for mm-hmm. books that are recommended by different animators and, and designers. In the yeah.
0: That's a few standard yeah. books. You know, the Richard Williams book is obviously a great, uh, you know, great asset. But that's the thing, you know, with, with a lot of films, it was just figuring out how to do it. And I found a couple of blogs on online that you, that were used to run then that used to explain Cinefex magazine, which sadly actually finished uh, you know, uh, publication closed down, actually, Cinefax um, a month or so ago, sadly. Um, but, you know, they they would take you through how a shot was done. Mm. And in the early days, before it was, you know, 1,000 and 2,000 shots per film, it was only like, you know, Jurassic Park, which was 50 VFX shots, you know, they explained in detail how they did each shot. And he went, oh, I see. So you cut that out, then you put this in the foreground. This isn't real, but that's, the... right, okay, I can do that. So that's what I was really doing, was copying what other people had done.
1: Mm. And
0: when I was doing green screen and blue screen, when learning the hard way of how to deal with green screen and blue screen, I go, oh, right, this didn't work, that worked. Oh, this needs to be this clean, and you don't put a white balance on the camera or anything else like that. It was a, a huge learning curve, just getting that right.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, because I had that, actually, with uh, where we did a, a project and that the the DOP insisted on changing doing a slight white balance adjustment on the camera as he did mm. on set on the green screen and we let him do it and it was a nightmare because of course it changed the color and I didn't realize at the time I, I had no experience of, mm. of cameras so in some ways it, it taught me to put my foot down with with other people on on when you know technically more than they do mm. about why something needs to be the way it is uh, it's not it's not it's not that you're in impeding their creative abilities, it's simply that you say, No, if you want me to make you look good, you have to make sure well, I technically have everything I need to do my job. And that's that's really what anything is in a production line. You know, because you're an animator, you're relying on the layout artist to put everything in place for you. You're relying on the rigger to rig everything properly for you, then a designer to design it so that you don't have too many complicated joints and things like that to animate. So it's actually going to take you away from doing the, the 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 core, you know, artistic animation. So the core acting. If you're spending all your time animating like wafts of hair, mm. then. What that's a waste of everyone's time. So it's all those things. That's why you should learn, you know, and actually really understand animation first, so you understand why something is drawn, designed, storyboarded, why that particular shot is set up that way, uh, and you understand why it's done that way. If you don't understand why, you're not going to understand how. You know, the best uh, tutorials I had when I was in university was the cinematography where he forced me to question why I'd made certain choices. And I said, well, I don't know. I just wanted this shot. He said, "But why, why that shot in particular? Why not mm-hmm. this shot? And he forced me to justify every one of my decisions because that's really all you're doing is basically making decisions and put them into practice. The decisions you're making are your intuition. And that's all creativity is. Every, everything, Every job is creative, really. Because your decision making is driven by your intuition and experience. At the beginning of your career, you don't have much of either. So it takes you a lot longer to get to the end result, if you get there at all. The ones that embrace their intuition and experience, but understand how to do things fast and efficient, those are the people that work well creatively yes there's creative inspiration but the only reason they're able to have that inspiration is they're able to understand the messages or the, un- the thing they're looking at or what's given them inspiration and understand how to put into practice you know everyone can have inspiration about a story every day you know every when you're walking down the street you see somebody there's a story going on there of two people mm-hmm. arguing well, you know all it takes is somebody with a certain experience to say actually that's a good springboard for something i can apply that somewhere else yeah. You yeah. know, you know when you watch it in Hollywood films, I've been watching uh, in lunchtime Holston on um, Netflix. It's obviously about a fashion designer. Well, you know, he 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 defined an era of the seventies with his fashion. But where was it coming from? What was he re- you know reading? It's there's quite a fascinating scene where he's, he's creating a perfume, and all the perfume elements are from his childhood. I mean, sure, it's dramatized. I'm sure it's not necessarily what really happened. The whole point was all of his inspiration was coming from a real place. And he was creating it for a time and an energy that actually doesn't exist now, but existed then. So he's responding to his own triggers and he's applying them and refining them and making an almost laser pointed uh, idea and marketing that and selling it. And that's really anyone's doing, you know, this glass is designed by somebody, you know, this everything in this room is designed by somebody. It manufactured, sure, but it's designed. That's a Mm. creative thing. Um, And that's all you're doing when you're doing animation is you're making tasteful choices about acting and applying them as quickly as you can and efficiently as you can. So you move on to the next one
1: and the best people who do that are the best people who get paid the most. Sorry. I've just realized we're, we're, Running out of time, unfortunately. Um, I see that Shane's joined us at the end. Sorry, Shane, but you'll be able to go back and and view it from the start if you like afterwards. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Thank you very much for talking to us. It's been it's been fantastic, very insightful, and some really good insight and and advice 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 in there. It's been fantastic. Um, I'll just say a couple things before we go, just a bit of news. So next Q&A we have, uh, let me try and see if I can get the names right. We've got Chloe Denevieve I like to say, and Mojiza, sorry I said it right earlier, Muniza Fatel from Blue Zoo. They're two animators from Blue Zoo um, and they'll be joining us uh, next week on Thursday from 4 till 5 and that's where we're changing the layout of the Q and A's. We're going to start uh, inviting members of the animation club in to co-host the Q A's. So we'll have Fionn and Envis joining us next week to co-host that Q and A. So um, that's where, how everyone can start getting involved a bit more um, as well as still taking comments, uh, taking questions from the comments as well. So I'll post some more things about them afterwards, but um yeah, I'll say thank you again to John Rennie. So thank you very much for talking to us. And yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. No problem at all. I'll end the live now. See you next week, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this Q&A podcast. We would like to thank John Rennie for speaking to us and the Animation Club for their hard work. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast.
1: Goodbye.